We're in the last of our series on Untangling Christmas, and actually this is the one that I've been looking forward to the most. Uh, not because I wasn't looking forward to other people uh, bringing the message, that they've done a great job, but uh, mainly because this has been a message for me. And so there's been a little bit of introspection and um, self-survey going on, uh, maybe a little bit of conviction as well, maybe more than a little bit of conviction. Uh, as we untangle Christmas, we've untangled the biblical story, the biblical narrative from uh, other things that we have made Christmas about. We've untangled it from materialism where the world around us has chosen this time in our celebration in Christ to sell as much as they can. And last week, uh, Linnea helped us as we thought about untangling peace from the chaos and the stress and gave us some very practical ways to exercise peace in the midst of a world that is full of turmoil. And so we, we look at these things and we remember the words where the angel said, peace be with you. And we remember that Christ came in very simple ways and God spoke to Mary in very personal ways. And, and uh, now I come to this bit on cynicism and wonder. So I, I'm glad the kids are in here for this part because I have good news and I have bad news for you this morning. So the good news is, if you're a kid, here's the good news. Christmas isn't over, right? I mean, everybody else says, oh, I'm so glad that's over, Christmas is over. No, kids, Christmas is not over. The gifts may be unwrapped, but Christmas isn't over. In, in the church year, in the Christian year, Advent is the season leading up to Christmas. The rest of the world gets it wrong. They think Christmas begins sometime in mid-October when they change the stuff on the shelves at Walmart. But that's Advent, those four weeks up to Christmas, and then Christmas begins on Christmas Day, and that's why there's that song that we sing called The Twelve Days of Christmas, because there are 12 days from the 25th of December to the 6th of January, which is the day of Epiphany, and we'll talk about that next Sunday. But there's these 12 days of Christmas, and actually that song, The Twelve Days of Christmas, that's kind of weird, I listened to a guy on a podcast this week talk about how he thinks it's the worst Christmas song because it makes no sense. But there's actually spiritual meaning to these 12 days of Christmas and all these components that actually have spiritual meaning to them. And for us as Christians, we should say, you know, Christmas isn't a day, it's a season. And it's a season that should go on beyond 24 hours Christ has come, and we should celebrate that. So that's the good news. Now, for some of you, I have bad news. Christmas isn't over. So we're still singing the songs. In our house, there's still treats sitting out that we shouldn't be eating, but we are thoroughly enjoying. And our Christmas decorations are still up, and I've been in fervent prayer that Mid-January, we'll hold more 65-degree days so I can get those things down and put away. Christmas isn't over. But for some of us, it's just not a fun thing. And there are people out there who are really just Christmas haters. And here's where 
I've had to do some introspection. And my family is here today, and you can ask them afterward if this is true. I am completely guilty of this. I am the worst of sinners. I went through a period of several years where I detested Christmas. I just did not enjoy it. I spent too much time letting my attention be drawn to the people who have misused and abused Christmas and made it something other than the wonder of the Christ child. And so I still battle with this. Every, every year, this time of year, when I drive down Mays Road, I battle, I become a Christmas hater. Stop laughing. It's not funny. You drive down Mays Road this time of year, and there are a thousand people out there that have no idea how to drive. So maybe, maybe some of you are resonating with me. Maybe, you know, maybe we could have a support group for Christmas haters, for people who go, you know, I don't want to hear Grandma got run over by a reindeer. I don't want to see another ugly Christmas sweater, you know, all these things. We could say these things, and then we can confess them, and we can ask God to sanctify them somehow. But those of us that resonate, that resonates with us, here are some thoughts that might resonate with you. I mean, we hear these kinds of things, and so bear with me as we just kind of have a bit of a purge and get them out of at least my system. So here, here are some thoughts. Um, you know, how about these? Santa doesn't believe in you either. Or all I want for Christmas is for it to be over. If, if any of these have any kind of resonance with you, you're a Christmas hater. Merry capitalist consumer-driven corruption of a pagan fertility holiday. Parents, I'll let you explain that to your children. Uh, instead of Merry Christmas, meh, Christmas. I mean, come on. We're all somewhat guilty of this. At some point we see something we go, that is just totally inappropriate. That is not Christmas. It's, at least it's not the way Christmas was 50 years ago when everybody knew how to celebrate Christmas right. At least it's not the way it was uh, intended by Christ and, and he came. And we've made Christmas into something that can be really unpleasant. It can be chaotic. It can be corrupted. It can be materialistic. We've heard all those things. And that can contribute to our attitude. And so in all of this, we have a little bit of cynicism, and there's a reason why I have this little dog up there, and I will explain that in a moment. You see, when we talk about cynicism, um, and we talk generally in pop culture, we talk about cynical people, but I want to take a step back before that, because cynicism came from a, a Greek philosophy. The Greeks were great. They had a lot of time on their hands to think things over, and come up with new ideas about the meaning of life, and there was a group of them that got together, and they became uh, the cynics. And they practiced cynicism, and it didn't mean what it means to us today. So bear with me a minute. These, these people that got together and called themselves the cynics, they adopted a worldview and a philosophy of life that they went around and exhibited, and it's not what you think. And in fact, they got to be well-known among other people, and there were people that did, around them that they really did not like the cynics. And I'll explain why in a moment. And I actually looked this up, because I wanted to know where the word cynic came from. And, and it comes from a Greek word, kinikos, which comes from the word in the Greek for dog. 
And, and I, so I look at, why, what in the world does this have to do with the dog? And so these guys got together, and they were going to talk about their philosophy of life, and where they got together was called the place of the white dog. And so that was one of the things that landed, you know, they get together at this place called the place of the white dog. But then the cynics, they adopted this philosophy that said, we should do whatever comes naturally that feels right, that seems appropriate to us in the moment. That is what we should do in living out our lives. We should do just what seems right to us. And so they went around and they started living according to whatever whim in the moment hit them. And they were known for being rather indecent in public. And so one of the things they were known for, and I know this is really inappropriate for a sermon, but it'll get your attention. One of the things they were known for was going to the bathroom in public. Because you just do what comes naturally and you need to go to the bathroom and there's people standing around. Well, too bad. I'm a cynic. I do whatever comes naturally and this is what I do. And so there were people around them going, hey, what are you doing? Oh, you're one of those. You dog. You people of the dogs. And they just did what was natural to them and, and it developed into a form of philosophy where you do what comes naturally you don't try to accommodate other people, but you are driven primarily by your own urges, which out of that we develop the word into something that looks more like cynicism as a distrust of human motives because they come only from self-interest. I'm only doing what I want to do, and so the rest of you then become the cynics. And so it kind of got flip-flop. So I drive up and down Mays Road past New Market Square with all the shopping. And I go, hmm, you dogs, you heathens, pagans who are spending money you can't afford to spend and driving like crazy people, trying to get in and out of parking lots because it seems appropriate to you. And I think they are the cynics, but in the way that we've changed it, I have become cynical about this, that I don't have a good attitude about this. And so I kind of have a little bit of a growl in my words. And I become the dog. And in our terms, really, cynicism at Christmas is just having a bad Christmas attitude. We get a little bit more bad-tempered and irritable. Doesn't help that we're at the time of year with the shortest hours of daylight. I don't know about you, but I don't like leaving the house and coming home when it's dark. We begin to refuse to make an emotional investment in the celebration that others are going around. I, I really don't care. I will go to the office party because I have to go. I got to show up so my boss sees me there. But I'm not going to invest emotionally and say, well, happy holidays to you. I'll make an appearance and that's it. And maybe, maybe that it's not the office party, it's the church Christmas Eve service, or I don't know. But I'm not going to invest because I don't care. And we get to a point where then, in our bad Christmas attitude, we deny the spiritual significance and the spiritual implication that Jesus came into the world for us. And we forget that part of the Advent season is to remember that Jesus is also coming again. And not just coming again, 
like someday to part the clouds and to judge the sheep and the goats and to take his precious ones home. But he is coming again into people's lives who invite him in. He is coming again into the circumstances where people cry out and say, God, can you do something about this? And he is coming again. And then we get to the point after we've done this for a few years where we begin to doubt the value of actually celebrating and we just wish that Christmas would go by. And so the good news is Christmas is over, but the bad news is Christmas is not over. Because we've got to figure out how to reinvest ourselves in the true meaning of the season. And how to really celebrate that a Christ child comes and he comes again and he comes again and he enters our lives and he will one day come again in a way that no one will be able to deny. So, let me warn you because now, now we've, I've set the stage. You know, we know all about bad Christmas attitudes. So here's my warning. It's a big correction coming. So look out. I've found a nice little sign. The next four miles we're going to have some squirrely stuff to deal with. I want to read to you just one verse from Luke chapter 2. I am sure that a lot of you read this to kids, grandkids, maybe in your own devotions over the last week. You read Luke chapter 2. I just want to look at this one verse. I want this verse to stand out to you. This is what it says. The angel said, don't be afraid. Look, I bring good news to you. Wonderful, joyous news for all people. And, and just for a moment, I want to challenge you to put yourself in the place of the shepherd. Not physically, but mentally and spiritually. That Can you hear the messenger from God say, don't be afraid. I have good news. And it's wondrous Joyous news for all people. I got to tell you that as Christians, we need to be reminded and corrected often that we are people of the good news, not people of the bad news. We get so caught up in pronouncing sin and pointing it out everywhere we see it and everything that's bad with the world that we tend to focus more on the bad than we do the Savior who comes to redeem people and bring them back to himself. We have wonderful, joyful news. And so let's look at this a minute. I mean, this is, this is great news. This is so hot, it's burning up news. In fact, this is such good news, it stands in contradiction to what we think of as news today. First of all, I need to remind you that the good news of Jesus Christ is real. We live in a day and age where fake news is all around us. And in fact, I can spend a lot of time during my week reporting you guys to Facebook for posting false stuff. Now, wait a minute. None of, it wasn't any of you guys. But I do. I have done this thing. I have family members, and I had, hate to admit that it is often my family, that they post things on Facebook, and I go, that's not true. That's not real. And now Facebook has given me this great opportunity to be a pastor online and correct all these falsehoods. 
and there's a little button up at the top of that post I can click on, and then it goes, you can report this, and is it something that's obscene? No, it's not obscene. Is it something that is derogatory to certain people? No, it's not that. And then it says at the bottom, is it false or misleading news? Oh, yes, and I click that thing, and I have to confess. I do it at least two or three times a week. And then those people get a little message from Facebook, and they don't get to post for a while. That's how it works. You see, we live in a day and age where people are boldly lying about everything. Aren't they? Come on, let's face it. How many of us went in and tried on an outfit and came out of a fitting room this season and the salesperson goes, oh, that looks fantastic. (laughs) No, they didn't. (laughs) You got a truth teller, my brother. They go, no, 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 uh -uh, that does not work. (laughs) But you know, on, on significant things where people say, here's what's going on when it's actually not what's going on. And they lead us into falsehood. And they lead us into a sense of what is happening around us that is devoid of God. Everything is bad and the Savior is not here. And so you should be distressed. Oh, and by the way, we will sell you something or you can vote for me. Because that will save you. Well, we are people of the real good news who know that the one who will save us is Christ the Lord. So it's real news. It is good. We've talked about that. This is good news. Christ comes for all. He comes to save anyone who would call out to him and seek forgiveness and grace. So it is also not only real and good, it's accessible. I like this. I like this. I, I recently saw a video from... One of my friends from growing up, his daughter just got engaged and they flew to Thailand and her fiance proposed to her on a beach in Thailand. It's gorgeous. And I go, wow, that's pretty nice and impressive. I mean, he proposed to her on a beach in Thailand. Look at this, it's beautiful. And um, I think about my daughter and someday I hope some guy proposes to her, but it'll probably be in Kansas It's just not that accessible. That's great that some guy can do that for her. I don't know, Linnea, maybe... We know some great beaches. We'll we'll set something up. (laughs) But here's the thing. Sometimes we hear good news. We see stuff that's going on. We go, but that's not for me. We get on Facebook and we see so-and-so went to the Caribbean during January. But I can't do that. So-and-so just got married. I can't do that. I don't have someone like that in my life. So-and-so just got a new job, and I don't even have a job. So-and-so is having kids, and I can't have kids. So-and-so got to spend Christmas with their grandkids, and I don't even know where my grandkids are. Well, here's something I want to remind you. The good news of Jesus Christ is for all people. That's what the angel said. It's for all people. It's just a matter of whether they recognize it and lay hold of it and believe in it. You see, we live in a world that is starving for something that is good and real. For something that is good 
and real. You know, there's a difference. There's a big difference between a meal that you take out of the freezer that's already been prepared that you throw in the microwave and the kind of meal some of us had this week where we started with fresh ingredients and we made turkey and dressing and salads and vegetables from things that were just wonderfully fresh. And then we sat down to eat this and we go, this is good. This is the way a meal is meant to be. We live in a starving world where people settle for some kind of fake facsimile of the gospel that tastes like it, but doesn't quite cut it. And instead of being healthy and wholesome in building them up in Christ, it actually makes them unhealthy and fakes them into believing they're being fed. We live in a starving world, but the good news is the gospel's there for all of them. You know, we pray this prayer that Jesus taught us. We do it every month when we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And we say in the prayer, Thy will be done, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. We say that prayer. We say those words, right? And we say, Lord, we want things to operate and function on earth the way they do in heaven. In heaven, what you say happens. In heaven, things are not cluttered with sin. Could it be that way here on earth? And you might say, you know, I don't know why we pray that because earth will never be like heaven except that I want to remind you of the one who told us to pray this way. Remember who told us to pray this way, Christ himself. So let me take this a little bit farther. <clears throat> we read about the angel that said, hey, I've got good news. It's wonderful, joyous news for all people. You don't need to be afraid. Well, if we jump forward a little bit to Paul and other people that were with him, the apostle Paul took that good news and started traveling and taking it all across Asia and and into Europe, around the Mediterranean. And, and I want to just latch on to a little piece of that story. It's in Acts chapter 13. If you want, if you're really interested in this, go home and, and read the chapter. But Paul has left his base of operation in Antioch of Syria, and he arrives at another Antioch in Antioch of Pisidia. And so sometimes we get confused because it's Antioch and it's Antioch. And so just think about, you know, Paul went from Kansas City, Kansas to Kansas City, Missouri. It's a different place, different people. And instead of being Antioch of Syria where all of his friends were that laid hands on him and said, go and preach the gospel, he goes to this place where people go, what? What are you talking about? And, and some of them aren't real enthusiastic about what he says. But as Paul is in a pattern of doing in the book of Acts. He goes into a new town, and the first thing he does is he finds the Jewish people. He goes to the synagogue, and he begins to speak with them, and he tells them about Jesus and what Jesus did and how this is the Messiah. And so he does that. <clears throat> he goes into the synagogue. He preaches, and the people like what they hear, and they, after they're done, they follow him out, and they're talking. They say, hey, you should come back and, and do this again on the Sabbath. And then word gets out. 
This is what happens with good news, is the word gets out, and other people come, and, and some of them aren't Jewish. And in fact, they gather outside, and Paul begins to talk about this, and he's had some time to think about these Jewish people who kind of liked what he had to hear, but didn't, what, what, they, what he had to say, but they didn't accept it, and so he says, you know, these Gentiles here, this is for them. So we pick it up here in 46 and 47. Speaking courageously, Paul and Barnabas said, we had to speak God's word to you first, the Jewish people in the synagogue. Since you rejected it and show that you are unworthy to receive eternal life, we will turn to the Gentiles. This is what the Lord commanded us. And then he quotes from Isaiah here. I have made you a light for the Gentiles so that you could bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, I want to unpack that a little bit because if this is the good news and we're not going to be cynical about Christmas, here's something that involves every one of us. You see, Christmas can either be something that gives us the freedom to share the gospel of Jesus Christ or it can be a a source of enmity where we are at enmity with those around us who resist the true message of Jesus. And Paul says this when he quotes that piece of, of scripture from Isaiah. He says, I will be a light to the Gentiles. Because he said, you know, you Jewish people, I was here. I was at the synagogue. We talked. You heard. And you said, now nah, come back. We'll talk some more. But you, you didn't receive it. And so I'm back, and these Gentiles showed up because this is what happens with good news. When good news gets out, it gets shared. And other people who are part of that starving world will come, and they'll go, tell me a little bit more about this. And the Gentiles show up, and so Paul says, hey, you know what? I now, I am a light to the Gentiles, and so I'm going to tell them this good news and let them hear what I have to say. You know, not too long ago, I was sitting at a table with family members who had come for the holidays, and we were in a restaurant, and we got to talking, and as we were sitting there, we were talking some theological stuff. They were, they were asking me some questions. Saying, what do you believe about this? And what does the scripture say? What does the Bible say about that? And there was a couple sitting behind us, an African-American couple, and they were very quiet, and they were finishing up their meal, and they got up to go, and I, I when the, the lady scooted her chair out. She bumped it into the back of my chair and I turned around and I said, oh, I'm sorry, I'll scoot forward. She goes, no, no. She goes, I'm sorry because we were eavesdropping and we were listening to what you guys were talking about. And then I was like, oh my word, what did I say? I'm sure I said something wrong. And she goes, yeah, we were listening in on this when you started talking about the Bible. And I, then I said that very thing. I said, what did I say? I'm sure it was wrong. And her husband leaned over and he goes, no, no, no. We were praising Jesus with you. We were praising Jesus with you. You know, good news has a way of getting out, doesn't it? I want to contrast that with another story, if you don't mind. I was in a Starbucks. I know, it's hard to believe, but I was in a Starbucks recently. And I was sitting, waiting for one of you and uh, had my cup of coffee, and I could overhear the gal behind the counter talking to a guy, a customer, and she was really upset, and she said, I hate Christmas. Those were the words she used. And he goes, really? What you, what's going on? What you? She goes, well, I have to travel to Indiana to visit my family. 
And I'm still sitting here going, I don't see the downside. But I'm eavesdropping. And she goes, yeah, so my mother-in-law, I called her up and I said, what do you want for Christmas? And can you believe it? This is the, this is the response she gave me on the phone. She said, you know, what I want for Christmas is I want you to be closer to Jesus Christ. And then she followed that with some expletives. And she goes, can you believe that? All I wanted to know is what I should go buy and wrap and take her for Christmas. And when she says, you know, all I want is for you to be closer to Jesus Christ. And you know what? In that moment, I also wanted her to be closer to Jesus. (laughs) But I sat there and I actually, I prayed for her. As I was sitting here, I said, Lord... I know her mother-in-law meant well. I'm, I'm guessing her mother-in-law told the truth. I really want you to be closer to Jesus. And right now, that would be a great thing. But I would like you to do something in her heart, Jesus. And I thought about this, and I thought, oh my goodness, the disconnect between these two women, a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law. A mother-in-law has just come and I don't know, maybe the mother-in-law isn't that nice and was being snarky, but still. A daughter-in-law that says, I'm not going to go buy her a gift because she didn't tell me what she wants. We could unpack that for a long time. And then in that moment, I was thinking about this. A light to the Gentiles. Good news for all people. Even for her. And so here's, as I thought about this, I thought, you know, this is good news, not just for the Gentiles, but we could take that term, that Gentiles, because as we understand the attitude of Jewish people at the time to those who were not Jewish, we can, we can sort of take that term out and we can replace it with a term that we might use today of other people that we really don't like, of other people that we think are destructive, dangerous, bad, And so, instead of a light to the Gentiles, we could say, you know, a light to the Democrats. A light to the Republicans. (laughs) A light to the politicians. Or we could go on from there and we could say, you know what? Um, God has appointed us to be a light to the pedophiles. Or the incarcerated. Or the really, really grumpy, bad drivers on Mays Road. And we could go on and on, and we could put a word in there. A a light to black people, a a light to people on the other side of the southern border, a, a light to just whoever you find distasteful, whoever you dislike. My hunch is that you could replace that and say, God has allowed us to be a light to them somehow. And we could go on and on. A light to the Muslims, a light to the pagans. And, but here's the thing. This is the invitation of Christmas, is we get to take this incredible story of a Christ child who comes to forgive us and put us back in a relationship with Jesus, and we get to share that story with anyone who's hungry for it. And then he goes on as he quotes this passage. I'm going to go back a minute. I have made you a light to the not-so-nice people so that you could bring salvation to the end of the earth. I get really, really uncomfortable with Scripture that tells me I should do something. 
Don't you? I like scripture that tells me what God's going to do. I love spectator spirituality. Where I get to sit back and watch the God of the universe strike lightning and move mountains and split the ocean and do those kinds of things. Do it, God. And then I read these passages of scripture where God says, I want you to do this, Hink. I want you to do this, Northwest. And we go, well, wait a minute, you're God. You're the one who brings salvation. But here, Paul says, he quotes this, he goes, and you will bring salvation to the ends of the earth. I remember that scripture, I've talked to some of you guys about this recently, where Jesus was preparing to leave. He was getting ready for his crucifixion and his resurrection and his ascension. And he goes, I'm going to leave, but you will go on and you will do greater things than I have done. How in the world is that possible? That you and I would do greater things than Christ. That's not possible. He walked on water. And yet he says, you will bring salvation to the ends of the earth. As in everywhere? As in those remote places like the top of Everest and the middle of the Sahara Desert? Salvation can be there because we can be there. Then there's this interesting thing I was reading in one of the one of the versions. It, it had a footnote where it talked about you. I'm going to go back here. So that you could bring a light. I have made you a light to the Gentiles so that you can bring. And it highlighted both of those pronouns, you. And it noted that that you is singular. So there's this thing I, I wanted to say, I wanted to read, I wanted to think, okay, you are going to be a light to the not-so-nice people, whoever they are, the ones you don't like, and you will bring salvation into this. But this is a corporate thing. So you, Hink, you can be a light to Wichita because you like Wichita, but send somebody else to New York City. You don't have to go. This is a, this is a plural you, but this is not a plural you. It's a singular You. It's not y'all, it's you. And if that word is spoken to me, and if the God of creation, the Lord of salvation, the child of Christmas is in me, then I get to bring salvation. It becomes a personal endeavor, and it should also become a personal wonder. Because here's the thing, as disillusioned as I get at Christmas, I'm even... I I struggle even more with the idea that God would choose to use me to bring his salvation anywhere. I struggle, forgive me, I struggle with the fact that God would choose to bring, to use you to bring salvation anywhere. I mean, there's got to be smarter, younger, more intelligent, better educated, better looking. That's an easy one. But no... It's you and me. And the wonder of Christmas is that the Christ child is in us. And God wants us to be a part of that story. I want the band to come back up and we're going to 